Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Hand to Hand in the Trenches, a missionary story podcast. I'm Caleb Hickam. And I'm Kimberly Croker. And we are your hosts for this episode of Hand to Hand. Hand to Hand is a ministry outreach of Charity Baptist Tabernacle in Amarillo, Texas. And Hand to Hand is a missionary story podcast that tells the true stories of Christians around the world who have hazarded their lives for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Welcome back again. This is part number two in the series on Baxter McClendon, who was also known as Cyclone Mac. Yeah, that's right. Last week, we talked about how young Baxter was a very rebellious child who despised all authority and was always causing trouble for his teachers and picking fights with his classmates at school. And we also told how he heard an old preacher at a camp meeting say that God might one day call him to be a preacher. You little boys there in the back, I hope you'll come down here to the front tonight and give your heart to God. He may call some of you to preach one day. So, even though Baxter didn't get saved for many years, way back in the back of his mind, Baxter always felt that God had a plan for him. So let's go ahead and get started on this story. Absolutely. So as we said last week, a rebellious child will often grow up to be a rebellious adult. And that is exceptionally true of Baxter F. McClendon. As Baxter grew into a young man, he was anxious to find a job to get out of the cotton field. He had always hated it. And he was a very smart young man, and so he quickly found various jobs. But with his incredible intelligence and and memory, he also became a very skilled poker player and gambler. Deal me in, boys. Today is payday. It wasn't very long before Baxter was only working his regular job as a salesman in order to maintain the appearance of respectability, but he made most of his money gambling. Mac, are you going to help your father with the cotton harvest this year? Heck no. I'll hire somebody to help him. I ain't going to do it myself. (laughs) You don't much like working in those fields, do you, Mac? You know, I can make more money in one night just playing cards and pouring whiskey than that whole lousy cotton farm can make all year. Okay, hang on just a second, Caleb. Let's go ahead and take a second and talk about that whole pouring whiskey thing and what that means. Yeah, that's a good question, Kim. Um, So 
Baxter lived in what's called a dry county of South Carolina. In the early 1900s, it was illegal in this county to make or sell alcohol. And uh, so Baxter, or Mac, as his friends called him, became involved in making and selling illegal whiskey, a process which was called bootlegging. Plus, the gambling was illegal as well, so Baxter was making his living by this time as a full-blown criminal. And pretty soon, while Baxter was making his living as an illegal gambler and bootlegger, he got into the habit of carrying a pistol with him every day. You know, just in case. One day, Baxter was summoned to the office of the local district attorney. Come in, Mr. McGlendon. Come in. Coffee? Um, no thank you, sir. What's this all about? Well, Mr. McClendon, or Mac, do you mind if I call you Mac? I don't, I don't mind. What, what is going on? Well, Mac, the thing is this. We know about the bootlegging and the illegal gambling. You know you could be facing a pretty large fine at best, and jail time at worst. You know that, don't you? Okay. But, Mac, I know you're a good young man. There is no need for you to go to jail. All you have to do is help us out a little. I don't understand. Mac, I want you to give me information on the storekeeper, Willie Baldwin. I know he's a worse bootlegger than you. He is the real threat. I don't care if you sell a little booze or make a few bucks playing cards. I want to send him to prison. If you help me, then I'll overlook your crimes. If not, then I'll come down on you. Okay, so you want me to be a snitch? Whatever you want to call it, Mac. No way. I'm not going to betray my friends. No, sir. If you don't do it, I'll send the sheriff your way. Send him? I don't care. I ain't no snitch. You'll be sorry, McClendon. You'll be sorry. So, the thing that everyone needs to know is that the attorney was only bluffing. He didn't have any evidence on either Baxter or the other bootlegger and was only trying to get one of them to betray the other. Baxter refused, but the other man was not quite so loyal as Baxter, and he very quickly agreed to testify against Baxter. When Baxter found out his associate, Willie Baldwin, had betrayed him, he was furious, and Baxter, in a rage, determined to kill Willie Baldwin. Baxter's own gun was, he believed, too small to shoot a man. So, he tried to borrow a larger gun from some of his criminal buddies. But no one wanted Baxter to murder a man with their gun, and they all refused to loan him one. Then Baxter, in a rage, went and bought a brand new thirty-eight Smith & Wesson revolver. This one will do just fine. Then Baxter loaded the pistol and headed down the street to the little grocery store that was owned by Willie Baldwin. He walked in the door and then across the room right up to Willie Baldwin. What, 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 what are you doing here? He has a gun!
Somebody call the sheriff. A man has been shot. Call the sheriff. Get a doctor. When the sheriff arrived, he had to push his way through the crowd. Let me through. Make a path here. Did anyone see what happened? I did, Sheriff. It was Baxter McClendon. He walked right in here and shot Willie four or five times and ran out the back door. Did anybody else see where he went after that? Yeah, I saw him steal a horse and buggy and ride off down the Cleo Road. He'll be hiding in the swamps by now. All right. I need every able-bodied man to get your horse and gun and start in to search the swamp for Baxter McClendon. Bring your hunting dogs, too, if you got any. Bring him in. Okay, guys, this is going to sound insane, but there was almost a thousand men. I repeat, a thousand men began searching through the woods and swamps trying to find Baxter. They found the stolen horse and buggy, which Baxter had abandoned outside of town, but they couldn't find Baxter. When Baxter abandoned the buggy, he took off on foot and hid in the swamps throughout the night, listening to the sounds of men on horses and baying hounds as they searched through the woods and swamps trying to find him. When it was dark enough and quiet enough, he snuck up to the house of a friend who lived on a remote farm. Oh my goodness, Baxter. What are you doing here? Why did you do it? You killed one man, and the other one is going to die too, looks like. Get in here before someone sees you. Well, I only shot one man. You shot at one man, but I heard one of your bullets hit a bystander. The sheriff and three men were here only a few minutes ago. If they catch you, they'll likely hang you. It was decided that Baxter should hide in the swamps until the following night. And, in the meantime, his friend would go into town and try to get all the facts. Baxter spent the rest of the night and all the next day hiding alone in the swamp. Oh, God, what have I done? Now I'm a murderer. I believe you called me the preacher's little boy. Now I've destroyed my life. Oh, God. Oh, God, what have I done? Late that night, Baxter met with his friend in an old shed on the farm. What did you find out? Are they both dead? Good news, Mac. I was wrong. There was only one man shot. Willie Baldwin. <sighs> Thank God. Not only that, but he was only wounded. The doc thinks he will get better. Maybe he won't die at all. Oh, Lord, Lord, please don't let him die. I, I promise I'll live for you if you'll let him live. I can't preach if I have blood on my hands. Lord, please. Baxter told his friend that he would go to the sheriff and surrender. But his friend said no, because the town was still too excited. You should leave the state for a while, Mac. No need for you to risk being hung. So Baxter left the state, and he hopped around a little here and there, and eventually he ended up working in Florida for a time. But, as is always the case, he failed to keep his promise to live for God. And after all, Baxter was still lost. And how can a lost man live for God?
it's not possible. Well, anyway, in Florida, Baxter worked as a salesman, but it wasn't very long before he was playing cards and making his living as a gambler once again. Full house, boys. Looks like I win again. Oh, man. How does he do that? Once, while Baxter was living in Largo, Florida, an old preacher man named Jimmy Little came to town. Brother Little had come to preach against alcohol, and he made a large sign that said, The dirty saloons must go, and hung it on the side of his buggy and started driving through the town. And, as you can imagine, all those drunken bullies quickly began to gather into a mob. The dirty saloons must go. Who does this dirty fool think he is? Well, I bet we could teach this old son of a gun a lesson. Come on, boys. The mob pulled Brother Little from his buggy and with a flurry of cursing began to push and shove him around. But just then, Baxter McClendon arrived on the corner. What's going on, Slim? While that old Pharisee is condemning us all trying to work up a temperance movement here in town, I expect he'll change his tune when we get done with him. Baxter pushed his way through the crowd, right up to Jimmy Little, and then reached under his coat and yanked out his Colt 45 pistol. I will kill the first man that lays a hand on this old preacher. He's the only decent man I've seen since I've been in this here town. Mac, why are you defending this old son of a gun? Why, you drink as much as any of us. That may be true, but that don't mean that this old man ain't telling the truth. Now stay back or I'll put a hole in you. Preacher, get, get up there in your buggy. I'll ride protection with you and you preach all you want. So, incredibly, Brother Jimmy Little, the preacher, and Baxter McClendon, the gambler and wanted gunman, spent the day driving up and down the streets of Largo, Florida, preaching against the evils of alcohol. Which is just beautiful. It's pretty Obviously. incredible. Okay, let's, let's go ahead and tell just one more story about Baxter while he was living in Florida. Okay, go ahead. Okay, one night, Baxter met a man and his wife. The man called himself Professor Stryker. Baxter, my boy, let me buy you a beer. Thank you, Professor. That's very kind of you. As the beer turned into two, and then three, and then six, the professor explained to Baxter that he and his wife were running a con game in which they pretended to be able to tell people their futures by reading their palms. We're making good money, Mac. Real good money. Fact is, business is so good that my wife and I can hardly keep up. Why don't you partner with us, Baxter? Why, with your personality, I think you would be really good at this palm reading. Well, I don't know anything about it. You don't have to, my boy. You don't have to know anything about it, because there's nothing to it. 
Just pretend that you know the future and these fools will give you their money. You can watch us for a few days, and that's all the preparation you'll need. So, Baxter agreed. He immediately began to dress the part by flicking back his hair, waxing his mustache, and putting on a solid black suit. He watched the professor and his wife for a while. He saw how they would ask questions in normal conversation before the reading. And as they would ask questions, they would find out what the person wanted to hear. Then, in the darkened room, they would pretend to read the person's poem. But in all reality, they would just be telling the person exactly what they wanted to hear. Then, Baxter tried it and ran the con game on several people while the professor and his wife listened in. Afterward, they told Baxter that he was perfect for the part. Why, Mac, that was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. You're a natural at this. I've never seen someone who was so good at it right away. It was the height of tourist season in the Florida town, and Baxter and the strikers were making money hand over fist, cheating the tourists. Then, one Sunday afternoon, the professor's wife called Baxter down from his hotel room. Baxter, there's a gentleman here who wants a reading and my husband is on an errand. Will you please take care of him? So, Baxter went down to meet the man. When he got to the hotel lobby, he saw that instead of a tourist, it was a tall, skinny farmer in dirty clothes. His pants were patched and were too short to reach all the way to his ankles. It was obvious that this man was a poor man. As they walked down the boardwalk towards the so-called mystery tent, where they would have the palm reading, Baxter started to ask the poor man questions. Tell me, mister, how long have you owned your farm? I don't own the farm. I only rent it. I'm a poor man. I don't know nothing. You see, that's why I came to you. I'm hoping that by reading my palm, you can tell me what job I'm best suited for. I've been broke all my life. Baxter looked at the poor man and remembered his own poor parents. He thought of how much they had struggled and how they couldn't afford to waste any money. Mister, you need to know that we're just down here pretending to tell fortunes so we can cheat the tourists. We're just fakers and cheaters. What? You mean to tell me there's nothing to this palm reading? That's exactly what I mean. You keep your money, mister, and use it on something useful because this is pure fake. Thank you, sir, for telling me. You must be a good man. Oh, no. I'm as mean as the devil. Baxter turned and walked back to the hotel room. When he got there, the professor's wife approached him and asked him how much money he had gotten. I told that poor boy that it's all lies and to keep all of his money. I quit this business. I don't want no part of cheating poor people who have nothing. Baxter was in his early 20s by this time. He heard news from home 
that the man who he had shot had not died. He had gotten well and had moved out of the state. After the excitement had finally died down, everyone in town had come to the conclusion that the town was better off now that Willie Baldwin had moved away. And no one really cared what Baxter had done anymore. It was finally safe for him to come home. So, Baxter returned to Bennettsville, South Carolina. Not long after returning home, he met and married Miss Raina Ratcliffe. They were married on Thanksgiving Day in 1903, when Baxter was 24 years old. Baxter went to barber school, and he became a very skilled barber. He opened a barber shop in his hometown, and he and Rana started a family. But all was not as it seemed. Baxter was still involved in illegal gambling, which he would operate out of his barber shop. After he closed the shop in the evenings, he would set up tables in the back and play cards and shoot dice until late in the night. But all that was about to change. One day, several preachers came to town and set up a camp meeting tent in the vacant field about a block from where Baxter's barber shop was. The preachers put up posters around announcing singing and preaching every morning and every night. Baxter didn't pay it any attention, but that night, after the shop closed, he set up his table and waited for the other poker players to arrive, but no one did. Where is everyone? Why, why is anyone here yet? When he finally got bored of waiting around in the empty barber shop, Baxter decided to walk around town to try to find somebody to gamble with. There must be somebody to play with tonight. Baxter walked over to the hotel, but he couldn't find any of his buddies. This is so strange. Where are the boys? Then he walked up and down the streets but the whole town was quiet. The only activity he could detect was the sound of shouting preaching over at the tent, accompanied by a chorus of amens. Finally, Baxter decided to go in the tent, not to hear the preaching, but to look for his friends. He walked in and sat down on the very last bench. Baxter didn't even listen to the preaching but he spent the entire time scanning the crowd, trying to get the attention of his gambling buddies. But when the service was over, as people were preparing to leave, one of the preachers, Brother Bud Robinson, walked right through the crowd and right up to Baxter, looked him right in the eye, and then he finally spoke. Young man, you know the devil is destroying young men like you all across this country? Then, the preacher turned and walked away without another word. Someone standing nearby asked Baxter if he knew the man. Does that man know you, Baxter? No, we have never met. Baxter went home and went to bed. As he lay next to Raina, he could not sleep. 
The preacher's words went over and over through his head. Young man, you know the devil is destroying young men like you all across this country? Baxter tossed and turned, but he couldn't rest. He got up and took a long drink of whiskey and laid back down again. Baxter, what on earth have you done? Nothing. Leave me alone. Something is wrong. You tossed and turned and groaned and moaned all night. You must have done something terrible, and now your conscience is bothering you. I told you it's nothing. Baxter got up and drank some more. By morning, Baxter was already drunk. He went to the barber shop that morning, but he couldn't concentrate on his work. I wish I had never gone to that tent service. I, I hate all preachers. I hate all churches. But Baxter could not get the preacher's words out of his head. Young man, you know the devil is destroying young men like you all across this country? So, at eleven, Baxter walked back to the tent and sat in the back again. But, this time... Everyone in the tent the saw him slip in. The preacher had a hard time trying to hold everyone's attention because so many people were watching Baxter McClendon, who was obviously under conviction. After the preaching, Baxter tried to soothe his conscience by going down to the altar to pray. Of course, it didn't work. Then he went back home for lunch. As they were eating lunch, the neighbor woman came by and knocked on the door. Raina answered while Baxter kept eating. The neighbor told Raina how Baxter had been to the tent revival that morning and had even gone down to the altar. When Raina came into the dining room, she was crying tears of joy. Baxter, come home from work early tonight and I will go with you. She didn't tell him she was talking about going to the revival service. All she said was, I'll go with you. Baxter didn't say anything either, but he knew what she meant. And he came straight home after work, and they walked together over to the big tent. Raina walked Baxter into the tent and down to the very front row. The preaching done. was hard that night, when you put your faith but Baxter was still Christ, trying to hold Jesus out. Christ and what he did on that cross, Raina and death, Baxter went burial, to every service morning and, and evening friend, I call on you today for the whole week. To please, Baxter to kept on trying to bargain with God, saying call upon the name he would be a better Come person if you want to be saved. but not call accepting the free gift of salvation. Oh, God, I won't gamble anymore. After one service, he promised not to gamble anymore and threw away his dice. And after another, he promised he would stop drinking. But these were nothing more than a man trying to be righteous before God. And after each time, he knew he was still not good enough for heaven. Then, finally, on the very last night of the meeting, Baxter went to the altar again. Oh, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I know I can never be good enough to be saved. I, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to save my soul. I'm an evil sinner. Please save me. 
So, that was the night that Baxter was finally born again. And, of course, this news had to come sooner or later. This is where we're going to have to stop for this week. We've already gone on for too long. But, it's a pretty good stopping point. And we'll look forward to next week when we'll get to talk about Baxter's new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new.